Hello and welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason. We get together each week right here and we discuss issues impacting the industry of food, fuel, fiber, and farming. It's the Business of Agriculture, and as usual, I have interesting insights and information for you, not just from me, but from my guest. He is the founder of Harvest Profit. His name is Nick Horeb. He's a North Dakotan agricultural guy finance guy, entrepreneur, and he has a product that can help you, if you are in the business of agriculture, be more profitable and manage your business better. Welcome to the show, Nick Horeb. Thanks for having me, Damien. Appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you because you've got some great stuff for us. You know, the, the business of agriculture is what this podcast is called because, Nick, I talk about business issues. You know, I, I point out all the time, these folks that are going around doing speeches about uh, the, corn, the, the corn markets and the spot price of soybeans. We have that on our phone, and we don't, we don't need that. What we need is to talk about things that can make our businesses more profitable, run more smoothly, and that's what you have invented. I want you to tell me about Harvest Profit. You started it in 2015. Give me a little background on you, your background, and how this all came together. Sounds great. I grew up in northwest North Dakota uh, around the town of Williston, where both sides of my family farmed. My grandfather on my dad's side of the farm, uh, he farmed. Uh, my uncle took over the farm from him, and my dad took over a construction business. And so I wasn't actually too intimately involved with the farm. You know, I would go and, and pick rocks and drive grain truck for one of my uncles. But really, to be honest, I was just kind of a pain in the butt on the farm. I would yeah, come but out. You, you got the good stuff, and you got the picking rocks. I mean, that's the part that I, I would say, why is my back so bad at age 49? Because I, we farmed crappy ground that nobody else wanted. I picked up rocks every spring. I'm glad you got in on that. I actually had to pick up sticks for one whole spring because my uncle decided to raise um, peas, and he was. this was back in the day where they were doing cultivation, and he had taken out a bunch of tree rows, and there were sticks everywhere. So for one spring, I was just literally picking up sticks. Uh, and, you know, back in, back in those, this wasn't all that long ago, but, you know, if you go back 20 years, um, no-till was just kind of getting its grass roots going. And so there was a lot of summer follow, you know, 50% wheat, 50% summer follow. You need to have a, you know, a big farm to support multiple families on that type of rotation. And so my dad got into construction, um, you know, farming wasn't really a, a huge passion of mine at the time. Um, kind of disappointing now, if I would have been born maybe five years later, I think things would have ended up differently for me, but I ended up going to school for engineering at North Dakota state. I got a little, uh, it was a little too boxed in for me. I took a finance class, an engineering economics class that really opened my eyes to this world of finance and, and analyzing numbers. And so I decided with one year left to bail on my engineering degree and transfer to the, the Carlson School at the University of Minnesota and get a degree in finance and work for a, a private equity firm in Minneapolis that at the time I was the, I was the first undergraduate hire they had. Um, they've had two $300 million private equity funds and they would go out and, you know, if, if you had somebody who had built up a manufacturing business and was ready to, to retire, we would come in and, and buy them out. And so I got to see best practices in a lot of different industries and then boom, here comes 2008 and commodity prices go crazy. Minneapolis wheat specifically where that's where my family farms. And I got to see how, you know, the roller coaster of emotions and the roller coaster decision making, how that impacted 
farmers. And at the same time, I was pointing out these risk-free arbitrage opportunities of, you know, you sell $10 wheat, you take out crop insurance, you guarantee a nice profit. And I was surprised at the lack of willingness for people that I was talking to to do that. And so I got into some consulting um, soon after that. Well, you know, you talk about the, it's, it's, you don't want to sound as though you're talking down to anybody or being degrading, but I was going to say there was a lack of sophistication. And that doesn't mean that these agricultural producers are not brilliant at producing product. It's just that you saw uh, there were financial things that could have been done, business decisions and choices that could have been made to really probably set themselves away from some of the risk. And I think it's what you're talking about is I remember the old story was, you know, you 2008, nine, 10, things are just going bananas. You know, on December 30th, there's the, the farm operator standing at the case or the John Deere dealership with a uh, half million dollars to spend to try and get it off his books. You know, that's, that's a little bit like, Oh gosh, what are we going to do now? We're having these killer years, but then, you know, there's the, bad years that are coming. And so that's kind of the volatility you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I've, kind of, I've come to realize you know, over the last 10 years that farmers get, get ripped on and get criticized um, in general for, for how they handle some of their grain decisions. But really, it's, it's how humans handle financial markets. There's all these biases that impact us. If you, if you look at the average, you know, the average investor, how they behaved, um, from say 2005 to 2009, you know, I personally know of a number of people that just completely bailed on the retirement portfolio after it dropped in half. Um, if you look, if you could go, if we could go back a year ago and look at how individual investors um, who had bought into these cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin, it's the same thing. And so, you know, farmers tend to get tend to get ripped on, but really, it's us as humans. We have a lot of biases, and that's. That's really where our product came about is trying to, to use numbers to filter out a lot of these biases that tend to present hurdles in our decision-making process. And it's, it's because of the human emotion part of it, as you're pointing out. And, you know, it's easy, as you're saying, for the average suburbanite that lives in a, uh, call it a $300,000 home, uh, and they always say that's their biggest investment. And that's, you know, what the average financial press says, oh, you know, the average person, their biggest investment is their home. Okay. That buys a two-year-old large tractor. <laughs> you know? uh, so the numbers, and so to bash on people that are farmers is a bit silly in that regard because while you say, oh, well, they're making bad decisions or they're not good business people, they make million-dollar decisions all throughout the year when you look at the equipment, the infrastructure, the inputs, and then, of course, there's the commodity that they're selling, the product they're selling. You know, you don't have to be a large operator. I mean, when we were at $8 corn, the guy down the road from me that farms, what, 1,200 acres, uh, you're talking about, what, a couple million and a half dollars worth of revenue that year. And so if they stub their toe, get emotional, make a mistake somewhere along the way, that's way more dollars through their hands than the average suburbanite does in probably a lifetime. Yeah, exactly. And if you, if you think about in any, any town, you know, you have some successful businesses, um, you know, that have a, you know, a few million dollars a year in, in revenue. Those businesses tend to have multiple decision makers. You tend to have people that oversee certain areas of the business where a farmer wears all those hats. They, you know, they're, they need to know agronomy and operations and HR and accounting and bookkeeping and capital allocation and financial management. And yeah, that you can bring in resources to 
to help you with that. But at the end of the day, the farmer needs to have a, a certain amount of, um, you know, understanding and proficiency at that. And, and really there, you know, people tend to be good at a couple things. And, right. um, you know, well, unfortunately one of them is one of the weaknesses of, of a lot of farms is just, you know, they don't enjoy staying on top of the numbers. And then by doing that, it kind of inflates a lot of these human behaviors and biases that tend to trip us up if you choose to, to maybe not focus on that. Well, actually, that's been one of my observations for a long time. And again, that's why I created the Business of Agriculture podcast, not the How Can We Grow More Corn podcast. I think that the business has a ton of focus on production. And farm operators tend to really focus on production, not only because they can go to the diner and brag about how many bushels of soybeans they got out of an acre. It's just what they do. And it tends to be, as you and I both uh, would agree, I think, it tends to be more and more that if you want to be successful, you really have to look at the business side of it, not just the production side of it. And I'm not being mean or diminishing in any way, but the production part we pretty much got that down. That's not hard anymore. You know, again, not, not diminishing the accomplishment. I'm just saying with the technology we have, the production isn't the biggest challenge. It's the profit. That's the biggest challenge. Yep, for sure. I definitely agree. Which of course your company is called harvest profits. So you've given us a great deal of background on you. Who needs what you do and why was one of my questions. And of course, that's simple. It's farmers. You've got customers, and I think you told me 32 states or something and a few provinces. Tell me a little bit about your reach. 28 states and four provinces. And as of this morning, we have about 440 customers. 440 customers. The average customer buys what from Harvest Profit? Tell me what your product is, what it does for them. Our product is a set of farm management software tools that's focused on the numbers side of the farm. And so we want to enable more proactive, confident decision-making, um, allow farmers to have the confidence to you know, track and take advantage of profitable opportunities on their farm. You know, nearly, you know, I hope all farms do bookkeeping, um, you know, for tax purposes, but most farms do cash basis bookkeeping that uh, records profitability on the fiscal year. But as we know, the crop year is much different. There's typically three years of financial transactions within one crop year. So that visibility into the crop year on, you know, what crop is making you money, what fields are making you money has been historically very cloudy. And we're focused on adding better visibility to that crop year profitability. Then we have different grain marketing tools and input tracking and, and input reports um, that go around this periphery. But the heart of our program is this crop year based profitability tool that takes a lot of the, the kind of hard math into account, crop shares, multiple entities. We do mark to market accounting. So on a daily basis, you have an accurate view of your, your profitability. But at the end of the day, we want to enable the farmer to be more confident in capturing those opportunities and we think better visibility is, is really a key piece of that puzzle. Nick, a lot of this varies, though, based on yield. You know, you say, okay, we've got this software, and you're going to use this here, uh, farm operator, um, and here's what your cost of production is. Well, your cost of production, of course, continues to get less with yield increase. So yep. tell me about that picture. 
so yeah, we have, you know, we have different what if analysis tools where you can look at different future price and different future yield scenarios. And then we build up, you know, it's easy for a farm to say, you know, my average yield is 185 bushel corn, but we build up on a field by field basis. So they do, um, they do field by field estimates. And then the software just simply calculates a, a weighted average crop yield across those fields. And it can be adjusted, you know, quite easily throughout the year based on, you know, based on, you know, essentially farmer intuition, weather, um, crop progress. Okay. So they're adjusting that. Now that brings to the complexity. One of my questions for you was how complex is this? You know, I, I'm an average adapter. What's the old curve there about the early adopters and the late adopters. And then you've got the, whatever it is in the middle part, but I'm about a middle of the curve on adoption. Um, this is, this is a little bit advanced. This is product you have is a little bit advanced. Is it hard? You know, there's, there is a little bit of a learning curve, but you know, with that said, we built the product to be ran in, you know, an hour, hour to two hours in the winter to update your new crop year, get all, you know, get all of your information in there. And for, for our current customers, you know, it's probably an hour and then, we built the program to allow our growers to spend, you know, as little as say a half an hour every month freshening up data. And so I I actually don't think it's, it's too complex. You know, there's a a little bit of a learning curve, but you know, one of our growers from Illinois, he's logged into the software over 700 times and he's only asked us one question. So uh, we try hard to make it intuitive. I built it for myself. And so when I started, there was, you know, 37 things that weren't as good as they should be. And now we've fixed 34 of them. And now we're on to the, you know, the, the three hard things, but at the end of the day, we're, you know, we don't come from, from California to build a product to tell farmers to use this because we've raised $10 million of venture capital. I built it to scratch my own itch, which is working with farmers and understanding these numbers. And so we live, work and play right in the heart of farm country and our software tool. You know, we know that farmers, you know, you can't, you can't buy a tool that is going to turn into another job for you uh, during the busy season. These guys are really busy. And so, um, we're just laser focused on helping to keep it as easy to use as possible. Are you a technologist? Are you a consultant? Or are you a financial advisor? And you said that farmers have to wear a lot of hats. All of us that run our own business also wear a lot of hats. I mean, I've been out here for 25 years running my own enterprise and I'm sometimes a speaker, sometimes a content creator, sometimes a writer, sometimes a performer, sometimes a money person, sometimes a farmer, some guy, the guy that mows the side ditches. Uh, what do you, what do you do with your time and how do you apportion it? And how do you see your role? So a, a quick backstory. When I, I was a few years out of college, I'd saved up about $30,000 and I pretty much wasted $25,000 building the first iteration of Harvest Profit. I was hiring software developers. I had no idea what they were doing. Um, it just looked like, you know, a, a, you know, Chinese, you know, Chinese characters. I had no understanding of what they were doing. And so I taught myself, you know, maybe 10 or 20% of what a person would need to be a, uh, an experienced developer. So I knew, I, I knew what was good technology to use. I knew so like, the idea is you knew what you, you kind of had the vision for what product you wanted or what you thought the market needed, but you yourself weren't the tech 
guru that could just design it. So you said, here's what we need. And then boom, you farmed it out and you blew 20, 25 grand, frankly, it sounds like a lot of money and it is, but also yeah. in the scope of things, that's not a bad burn. At the time that was, you know, 90% of my, you know, my, my liquid say net worth. And so that was, that was a pretty big blow to my ego. Um, and once I taught myself, you know, the, the, the backbones of how to build some of these tools and it, more of it's just project management and, and knowing, you know, who's good and, and who maybe isn't top notch and, and having just a baseline understanding to do that. And so I, I taught myself a little bit of the technology, but you know, today I'm more of a, you know, I write a lot of content on the farm management space. And then I, um, I talk to customers and I, you know, we use our customers feedback to guide the future of the product. So product planning and, you know, writing content to just add value to the farmer ecosystem is what I spend most of my day on. Yeah. You're not a tech, you're not really a tech person, even though your product is technology. It's the old thing of, uh, as we say in business, they don't really buy your product. They buy the product of your product. And of course, the software is not the product that the farmer actually gets. It's the ability to run a more profitable operation. I imagine that's your pitch. Correct. Exactly. Yeah, that is definitely our, that is definitely the pitch. What do you see farmers doing wrong? we just talked about sometimes the, the fact that you've got the volatility or that they're not as forward uh, thinking on pricing in stuff. Is that what we're talking about? What's the, what's the, what do you see in, what gets done wrong and right? What do you see? Well, you know, you started the conversation. I don't know if this was on air or off air, but you know, you're not you're not going to bring on somebody every day that's going to make a prediction of where crop prices are going to go tomorrow because that adds no value. But if you know, think about it. If you're a farmer and you listen to the radio, and all of a sudden somebody is incredibly bearish soybeans last year, and then soybeans drop two dollars a bushel, you know, it's easy to think, oh, you know, that speaker they knew it. So then you really latch on and follow their insights. And then all of a sudden, you know, they, they can't repeat that or, you know, heading into 2012 corn looks really bullish and then you latch onto that. And so, you know, what I see is that, you know, the, the crystal ball mindset is really hard to get away from. And there's enough opinions out there that you can always find somebody who's right with the benefit of hindsight and just looking for and seeking that person who has the crystal ball uh, it is a pretty big mistake in my opinion, because it's really, really hard you know, to predict future commodity prices, because obviously if we could, you know, we, we would probably wouldn't be telling anybody about it. Uh, incidentally, it's, it's the old expertise is sometimes in the eye of the, or ear of the recipient. I, I remember once a person I did some business with told me that I needed to invest with their investment advisor because the guy was amazing. And I said, really? And he said, my portfolio is up 11% this year. And of course I had pulled up the wall street journal and the entire market was up 11% that year. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I could have just bought the index and had the exact same result. So yeah, I agree with you that uh, there's always somebody seeking expert opinion on uh, such things as investments or the commodity markets. And that's really a, a difficult situation to be in. And you don't advise on that. You, you just simply advise on here's where you need to, if you know your numbers, how you can then make sure you at least know where your break even is and then go from there. Right. You know, I, I talk about biases a lot and, and really quickly one bias that tends to impact most of us as humans is recency bias. 
we tend to take what's happened over the last two or three weeks and extrapolate that over, out over the next two or three years. So if you, if you think about it, pretty much every winter the last five years have been pretty doom and gloom. So we think that's going to last forever. And then all of a sudden something happens in May or June or July and commodity prices rally and there's weather issues. And so we take what's happened over the last two weeks and we extrapolate that out over the next two years. And that, that really is what feeds the volatility in the, the emotional roller coaster. And so if a person can be cognizant and realize this, you know, all these biases and in recency biases an easy one to think about, I think that can, uh, can really help get over some of these, these decision-making hurdles that, you know, present themselves to farmers, you know, quite regularly. So what are they doing right? What are, what are the agricultural producers you work with? I said, what are they doing right and wrong? And you gave me some things about wrong. And you do talk a lot about biases, but you know what? As long as we are humans, we have biases. And exactly. you, you point that out very articulately and very accurately, I might add. What are farmer operators doing right? You know, like you alluded to, farms, you know, the average farm today is, is pretty darn good at the production side of agriculture. I'm seeing more and more farms doing, you know, there's a lot of talk about big data, but I'm seeing a lot of farms focus on micro data, you know, doing more on-farm testing to find out what works for their, their environment and, um, you know, testing things on their farm. And I think that trend is, it has accelerated the last couple of years with some of the data capture tools that are out there. And, and so I think farmers are doing, you know, continuing to do good things on, um, on that side of agriculture, I, I think they're getting better at, you know, being cognizant of tillage and soil health and um, a lot of good drainage practices that um, they're getting good at improving the land they have. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see that because I can tell you what, I'm an FFA soil judger. I was going to be an agronomist, but it was just too much science. So I became an ag economist instead. I have always thought that soil is treated like dirt. Uh, and I'm seeing finally in the last few years, signs of hope that we don't just take it for granted, uh, and treat our soil like dirt, like you said, on just the drainage and all that. But more importantly with cover crops, I shot a video last spring and I said, you know how we look back, uh, Nick at, uh, medical practices where they used leeches and we think, God, that's barbaric. That's ridiculous. They thought that if you threw leeches on some guy, it was going to make him healthy. I think we're going to look back almost that way. 50 years, 10 years, 30 years from now, and say, you know, they left their soil bare and exposed to the wind and the water, their most valuable resource, soil, it is left it unprotected for six months of the year. Yep, exactly. And, and yeah, that's starting to, to really take hold. And, you know, every farm is different. It's easy to paint a broad brush. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, I think, people, you know, more and more incentives and different different structures and credits and things are going to, are going to help kind of, you know, help facilitate that. And so I, I'm pretty excited about, about that movement, just like you are, you know, coming from Northwest North Dakota, what no-till has done for that part of the world is unbelievable. Um, it is, it has really changed the economics of farming. And um, I think if we can take that to some of these soil types and some of these areas that have heavier soils um, in areas with more rainfall and, you know, whether it's cover crops or some different technologies that help facilitate that, I think that's going to, you know, continue to uh, do good things for, for the soil going forward. I agree with you. You, um, you have customers in 28 states, four provinces. Uh, this has got to be very educational. The difference between Alabama and Al Alberta is pretty substantial. 
what do you what do you see? Tell me about the difference of your customer base from one geography to the other and what it's taught you. So I initially built a software for to facilitate the consulting work I was doing in North Dakota and Minnesota and South Dakota. And so we built a very primitive crop share tool in Harvest Profit. And then all of a sudden we started getting customers in Missouri and Tennessee and Kansas where crop shares are, you know, historically have been the, the most common form of rent. And, but crop shares come in all sorts of different flavors on what expenses they share. And so we had to pretty much rebuild the software from scratch to facilitate these crop shares. Um, and then, you know, the other thing that I've noticed, and I, I'm not quite sure if it's a too small of a sample size yet, but in some of the areas where there's less population, the Dakotas, Canada, uh, Montana, Colorado, you know, there's a little bit less custom work done. Customs, you know, farmers do more of their spraying. They do more of their planting and harvesting. And it seems in other parts of the country, there's quite a bit of custom work done. And as we've seen some, you know, some issues with weed control and the chemicals used with that, you know, this custom spraying has gotten awfully expensive. And so that's just a, you know, different cost structures associated with different production practices and, and different land rents. It's, it's a yeah, very, very interesting, uh, just nuances from geography to geography. Yeah, it's going to be, and the more you reach out, the more you learn, the stronger you and your company become, which is the great part. Uh, I mean, you know, now all of a sudden the person that's uh, trying to decide if Harvest Profit is the right product for them, and they say, well, you do have experience and exposure to so much. Yep, exactly. Uh, by the way, there's time for commercial here. We've been talking about Harvest Profit. We need to remind our listeners that I earn a living speaking at corporate and agricultural meetings all over North America. Speaking of 28 states and four provinces, I've worked in all 50 states and six provinces. So please, if you're thinking about putting on an ag meeting and you need somebody on stage that will make it interesting, sharing insights, and with entertainment, please consider me. DamianMason.com is how you find me. Back to my guest, Nick Horeb with Harvest Profit. Folks at the farm level often seeing the blues about how bad things are. What are you seeing? Is it really that bad? I, you know, as we sit today, yeah, the, the, prospects, the prospects for profitability aren't super high for this coming crop. But we could have said the same thing every year in the last five years. Yeah. And we had better opportunities to come. So if you think about it, I talked to a farmer um, who rents quite a bit of his land and he was, you know, singing the blues. And I said, you know, do you really want corn to go back to six dollars? You know, it's gonna raise your cash rent, it's gonna raise your cost of production, it's gonna raise land costs. And those things are hard to adjust on the way down. And so I think this environment we've had for the last three or four years, you know, a farmer should embrace that. Um, you know, if you were in an area with a poor, poor yield, there's no doubt about it. Very hard to make money, mm -hmm. but yields tend to move up and to the right. We have, you know, we've had price, you know, we've had positive margin opportunities, you know, every year, the last four or five years. And so, you know, there are plenty of farms that have kind of ran out of working capital, but for farms that have, have watched their, their big capital expenditures, it's been a pretty decent run. Most of the consulting clients I worked with, 90% um, of them, actually all of them are cumulatively in the black um, the last four or five years. And you know, we've been in an area up here in the Northern Plains where we've had pretty decent crops. And, but all in all, I don't think things are as doom and gloom as what 
the press always says, because partially it happens every winter. Well, first off, I agree with you. And then there's the folks that say, well, yeah, well, you're not the one. That's, I mean, I have some people that criticize me when I say it's really not that bad. I live half the year in Phoenix, Arizona. So I'm around non-agricultural people this time of year. And then, of course, they might have seen something on the news that Trump's tariffs are causing mass bankruptcies in, in farm country. And I say, that's not really true. And I go through the, you know, the situation, that, you know, where things are. Uh, so I agree with you, and it's not because I'm insensitive by any means, it's because I'm a realist and I look at numbers as you do, and I say, no, really, it's not, uh, it's not quite as bad as you might think. And then some of the folks that are, are going through uh, their troubles, it's not because of uh, some of the causes that maybe you've read about. You're a young professional, 35-year-old guy. You look at the future of agriculture, what do you see? You know, one pet peeve of mine is this thought that mega farms are just going to completely take over. Um, soil is different than hogs. Soil is different than dairy. It changes so much from field to field, but inevitably, you know, farms are going to continue to grow. Uh, I think there's going to be more emphasis on, um, you know, more emphasis on how do you maximize your per how do you maximize your production for every dollar you spend on equipment and labor and fixed expenses. And so I think it's just going to, you know, be as, be as competitive as ever. I do think we're going to start to see more, you know, more specialty crops kind of creep into the market, whether it's, you know, things like peas, um, different pulse crops, different, um, you know, not non GMO type crops, you know, the, the, the consumer is demanding that stuff. I don't think it's going to just all of a sudden magically appear because you know, how much of our production, how much of our current, you know, corn and soybean production goes right to animals and goes right to the shelves of, of Walmart and target a, a huge, huge percentage of it. But all in all, I think farm sizes are going to grow. Um, we're going to see farms thrive that are, you know, are good at, uh, you know, minimizing overhead expenses for the acreage that they grow. And then um, there's going to be opportunities on um, different crops outside of the corn and soybean realm. And if we can, if we can get traction, in those crops and deal with good counterparties, you know, you tend to, there's a, you know, there's some people in the hemp industry that haven't paid farmers. There's, you know, so if we can, if we can grow this thing in a, a slow and steady fashion, I think there's going to be opportunities for diversification, opportunities for growth and opportunities to frankly build a lot of equity on the farm is my opinion. That's fantastic. By the way, I, you're, you and I are preaching the, the same message on some of that because I say, let's not pretend that hemp or kale or grain sorghum or, you know, there was not a thing called canola until about 30 some years ago. There was not a thing called soybeans really at any commercial level until the 1950s. So I agree with you. There will be more diversification uh, out here on types of crop and then also within there, the niches like you talk about. And I, I think there's real opportunity. Nick Horeb has been my guest on this edition of the Business of Agriculture podcast. His company is called Harvest Profit. For $1,500 per year, you can sign your farm up, get access to all that they have to offer to make you more profitable and have a better understanding of your numbers. That's the pitch. Give it the rest of it and tell them how to find you, Nick. Yeah, so a real quick story. I was talking to a farmer today who I know he's in his late forties, early fifties. He's a good operator. He doesn't need to use harvest profit. He has some pretty decent systems in place. And I asked him, geez, kind of surprised me to see you sign up. Why did you sign up? And he said, well, you know, I hope to use this software for 20 years. 
And I hope that when my son or my grandchildren come into the farm, I can look back and say, here's 10 things that I did that were good. Here's 10 things I did that were bad. And I can go back and point them to the numbers. So rather than saying, you know, your, your grandpa walked uphill both ways to school in a 30 mile an hour wind, he could say, you know, back in 2008, I shouldn't have bought that expensive fertilizer. I should have forecontracted contracted more grain in 2012. And so just building up that long-term knowledge base um, you know, is, is hugely valuable in my opinion. And we're trying to make it easy to, to track, optimize, ultimately improve and, and build the systems around the decision-making on the number side of the farm. So we have a really easy free trial. Um, you just sign up, give us your name and your email, and you can do that by visiting harvestprofit.com backslash free trial. You can see if the software is a fit for you. If you have 10 hours a year to invest in making your farm better, um, we'd love to work with you. You know, frankly, if you don't have 10 hours a year to invest in the business side of your farm, Harvest Profit probably isn't the tool for you. And, uh, you know, maybe you need to rethink the, uh, think the occupation as a, as a, as a whole. So, but we, <laughs> we, love, we love all farmers and we appreciate the, the focus you're doing, Damien, on the, the business side of agriculture. We actually have a business of farming, some tutorials and courses that we've built. So it's, I, I think our, our mindsets align quite well. So harvestprofit.com backslash free trial. Got it. You know what? Nick Horb has been my guest. He's with Harvest Profit. Check it out. I, I really enjoyed his message here today, and you might be hearing from him again if he's so willing to come there. Nick, thanks for being my guest. Thank you. All right. Till next time, it's the Business of Agriculture. I'm your host, Damian Mason.